lasso. So, seems like there was a little bit of excitement here this morning. Uh, for people listening by podcast, we had a fire alarm go off, and the uh, fire department seems to be extremely effective. <laughs> and they were here like within seconds, it seems like. Uh, but just, I noticed this on the I My Door, this kind of like just logistics. It's kind of like a really chilling warning. You know, if you use your electric kettle in the same room where the fire detector is, you can set off the alarm and it'll cost you over $1,200 for them to come. Yeah, so I saw that and said, whoa. It may be nice to have a one-minute lag time. They could phone them before they jump in there, you know, in their wagon. But yeah, let's all be very, very cautious of that. We have no, I have no idea whether that was an electric kettle or you know, whatever it was, but nuisance for them, clearly. So, which brings us back to our present. Uh, those listening by podcast, very much in my heart and mind, and everyone here. Uh, we here, in this meditation place, apart from little things like fire department showing up, um, we are living in a relatively quiet environment with really nothing to do besides practice dharma. And so really this is like the quintessence of a, what in Tibetan Buddhism we call a, a precious, fully endowed human rebirth. You know, precious and rare. And I just reviewed uh, one of the opening lines from Shantideva's chapter on meditation in the Guide to the Bodhisattva Way of Life, where he said that those whose minds are distracted, those whose minds are distracted, live between the fangs of mental afflictions. In other words, your immune system is down, your psychological immune system is down. You know? So delusion, kind of the reification of everything, which is one of our most deeply ingrained mental afflictions. Craving, very deeply ingrained. Hostility, anger, resentment, irritation big, big habits. These are exactly the habits we're seeking to overcome here. And it's just by persistent, persistent effort. Not by big spurts of a three-year retreat and then go flatline and then spurt of a three-month retreat or one day or 20 minutes. If, if we're ever going to overcome these habits, it's got to be just by sheer persistence. If it can be enthusiastic, all the better, but persistence. And so I think in the world around us, rumination, Rumination, just kind of wandering mind, is just kind of the default mode. When, when we don't need to do anything, or even when we do, the mind just goes into that rut, you know, into that rut. And there's just nothing healthy about it. It's just not sane. I mean, if I've often given the example, if you had some, you know, science fiction, if you had some contraption you could put on your head that would actually pick up your, your, your brain activity and then translate it, you know, like a Rosetta Stone from brain activity to actually what are the images and thoughts going through your mind. Imagine that we're living you know, in a totalitarian dictatorship with Big Brother, and everybody's required to wear a little screen <laughs> with a loudspeaker on top of it. So, hello. And then every thought and image that's coming to my mind as we're having a conversation, you're seeing. So I'm saying this, and you're saying, what? <laughs> He's thinking that. He's saying that. You could, you know, number one, crime would vanish overnight. But the problem is we'd all be in jail. <laughs> you know? I mean, a jail or mental, you know, mental asylum, because it would look like we're just frigging out of our minds. It's really chaos. It's crazy. And the fact that it's common, that it's acceptable, is only because it's so private. If it were public, it would be, you know, everybody would go into retreat. That's just for the start of it. Yeah, yeah, I'll wear this, but I'm going to sit in a room until I achieve shamatha. I'm not coming out. It'd be like, you know, having leprosy and walking around naked. 
I mean, you would just at least want to stay in your own room by yourself, you know. It could be so embarrassing. So here we are. So those whose minds are restricted live between the fangs of mental afflictions. So, persistence. <clears throat> and we are, those of us who have the good fortune to be here now, we are in, a, in a, an environment where we really are allowed to be silent. You know? we, we, really, we have that big permission. Nobody's really demanding us. We have our 50-minute conversations once a week, you know, question and answer here, whatever. And so I can simply guarantee you, yogis have known this for a very long time, that um, unnecessary speaking just is throwing oil on the fire. Really, it's throwing oil on the fire of the rambunctious, out-of-control flow of obsessive and compulsive ideation. You know? And so as much as we see people living or listen, listening in by, by, you know, by a podcast, many of them, you know, they have jobs, they have families, they have many obligations. And so those are something they must do. That's part of their practice now. Whereas for this short time, we have this opportunity not to be there, you know? And so let's take full advantage of it, including today. So I still want to encourage you, during meals, during meals we can have meaningful conversation, get to know each other. But between sessions, let's really try to keep it quiet. Yeah. Um, at the very least, so we don't disturb people meditating around us. So on that theme, the practice we did yesterday, we'll go on a little bit over 9.30 today, and probably commonly will, we'll see. Um, but the practice we did today where, as you'll recall, I'm sure quite clearly, was the awareness is like 80% of the emphasis is just on resting with nothing to hold on to. And then it just a little bit of, you know, a little kind of finger on the breath just to hold a little bit of something to, but primarily just resting. It really occurred to me, it's like jump, jumping out of an airplane. You know, and you've seen some, if a person falls out of the airplane, you know, they're not a skydiver, and they fall out, you've seen it. They just tumble, right? They just tumble. Tumble, tumble, and then you know, then they die. You know, whereas people who are skilled skydivers, you see very quickly they are flying. They're flying down, but they are flying. You know, they're controlled, and they. I don't know. I just didn't even read the article, but something. I had 150 people join in one of those. You know, great big configurations, all holding hands. And cool, but that they were able to do that, of course, because they're flying. They're not, they didn't just fall out of an airplane. They're flying down. Uh, well, there's this term. Uh, it comes up a lot in Dzogchen literature. When you're resting the mind in its natural state, in the awareness of awareness, settling the mind in its natural state, the term is baba, baba, which means to fall. You're falling. Your mind is falling. You're descending to not some hard impact, you're descending to the substrate consciousness. You're descending from the space of the mind to the space of the substrate. In other words, you never hit ground. There's no bad ending. There's not even a soft landing, which is, you know, you open the parachute, you see how they just come down on tippy-toe. The parachutes are so good these days. But no, there's no landing at all. You go from kind of the dense, smoggy, full of hail and stuff, garbage in the, of your mind, and you're descending through that. And that's the term. You're descending to the substrate. That's the term. You're descending to the substrate. But every time we get caught in idle chatter, then it brings us right up to that smog and the congestion and the, all the grime in the air of the mind, of the, of the space of the mind. So, for people who are not very familiar with the practice, 
that may just be kind of like too high altitude. The air may be too thin. And you know what you're supposed to do. You can do it for five minutes. But you really don't have much to hold on to. And you just may find just an awful lot. You're just go, you're spinning out. Just like this happens. There was, I'm rambling a little bit, but oh, a year ago or so, somebody set the high record altitude for going up in a balloon and dropping something like some ridiculous amount, 26 miles or something. I can't remember the detail. But it was, they went way, way up and then just jumped off the balloon. And then just, it went, it was minutes and minutes, free fall. And at one point, they showed a video of it, the person tumbled. That's dangerous. And then restored. And then they came down, happy landing, set a world record. And so you may find you're tumbling. If I you know, use that metaphor a little bit, you're, you're going like this. If you're just there, that was not tumbling. I was, I was flying. And you all were probably you were joining me. That, but then, of course, you tumble. And then sooner or later, you restore and you get your equilibrium. And then you're flying again. You're descending down, flying down. And so if you find that it's getting a little bit frustrating, maybe a little bit too high altitude flying for you, then I'd like to take you back to the ground, back to the ground, in the combination plate that I've often referred to as balancing earth and sky. Earth. Let's find a comfortable position. We're going to go back to mindfulness of breathing where your feet are on the ground. With the aspiration of bodhicitta to achieve perfect enlightenment as swiftly as possible for the sake of all sentient beings, enter into the practice and let the whole 24 minutes be imbued with this motivation. In Tibetan it's called chanjukisenki zimba. It's held, it's imbued, it's flavored implicitly with this bodhisattva motivation. With this motivation, settle your body, speech, and mind in the natural states as you've done before.
Now again, let your awareness descend into the space of the body. No need to visualize the body. In fact, better to release any mental imagery pertaining to your body. And simply be mindfully present throughout this entire somatic field, like a light filling a room. The light is still, but it illuminates everything in the room, including any movements that may occur. A wide variety of sensations arise within this field from the ground up and be very present with, very attentive to this grounding of your awareness in the sensations corresponding to the earth element, the sensations of firmness and solidity, which when you attend to them nakedly without imagining them or conceptually projecting upon them, The sensations of contact are anything but firm and solid. They're in a constant state of flux. They're simply fluctuations of a field, aren't they? Fluctuations in a field of space. Within this field, there's a wide variety of sensations, but attend most specifically with the greatest interest to those sensations throughout the entire field Corresponding to in and out breath, by these sensations you will know when the in breath is long, you'll know that it's long. When the out, when the out breath is long, you will know that it is long. And as your whole body mind settles down, approaches a finer state of equilibrium. In all likelihood, the body will need less air, which means the volume of the breath will be less, which means the sensations corresponding to the breath will become subtler. The breath may become a bit shorter and shallow. And so when this occurs, When the in-breath is short, you'll note that it is short. When the out-breath is short, note that it is short. But above all, in the midst of this practice, do not seek to manipulate or control the flow of your respiration in any way. As a preparation for realizing the emptiness of the self as an autonomous entity, breathe egolessly, release all control, and let's continue practicing now in silence.
Oh, just a brief note before we return to our, our individual practice. One simply cannot overemphasize uh, the importance of a lifestyle that is conducive to the practice of meditation. This is why the format, the triadic format of view, meditation, and way of life, is very, very commonly, very strongly emphasized, and very rightly so, especially in my experience in the Tibetan tradition, that your view, just the way you view yourself, your mind, reality, there are ways of viewing reality that are completely corrosive to any type of meditative practice that will immediately, first of all, just turn it into service to the hedonic. <laughs> it happens all the time. Mindfulness, mantra, yoga, whatever. Oh, yeah, it'll make you feel healthier. It'll make you more sexy. It'll... whatever. But it just what's it, what subverts. A materialistic worldview just subverts meditation entirely to serve its own ends. It does it all the time. And in almost all scientific studies of meditation, it's all hedonic, almost entirely. And so view is enormously important, the meditation itself, of course. But then the point I'm really making here is the way of life. If the way of life is going to the left and your meditation going to the right, you know which is going to win. The way of life is like 24 hours a day, and your meditation is less. So it's going to sweep it away, your way of life. If it's antithetical to the qualities of awareness you're seeking to cultivate in meditation, your way of life is going to dominate. You know, dominate. And so, it is said in the, among the, I believe it's five, five prerequisites that is necessary ingredients in order for one's shamatha practice to succeed. Uh, one of them, the last, the last one, is actually the most challenging. I remember it very easily, very easily in Tibetan because it just rolls off the tongue. Listen to this. <laughs> Smooth, right? Want to say it again? You want to hear it again? And that is completely abandoned all obsessive thoughts, including desires and so on. Yonzu Bamba means totally accident. None. None. Not only in the cushion, of course, that's that you're establishing a new default mode, a new baseline in between sessions, which then if you're doing that for, let's say, 12 hours a day that you're not formally meditating, or maybe it's 10, maybe it's 8, maybe it's 6, but if you're establishing that's your baseline of you're simply quietly present until there's a need or value to think about something. You think when you think it's useful to think. It's like eating. You know, there are binge eaters or people with major eating disorders, and they eat just because there's nothing else to do. You know, that's a disorder. And of course, health Tragic. Health disadvantages. Tragic. And so we have a thinking disorder. You know, when one should stop eating because you're full, your body doesn't need anymore, then you do something else besides eat. And when there's something to think about, by all means, of course, think. Good. Imagine. Have daydreams once in a while. Let your, mind, let your imagination frolic. No problem. This is not Gestapo style. This is not tense, you know, binding, ah, shut up. It's just, you know, when you don't need to, when you're not hungry, don't eat. And with nothing to think about, don't think. Slip into a default mode of being just totally present with whatever's coming up. So if somebody could see the screen on, this, on your head, they'd see what you're seeing through your eyes. Or they'd see a blank screen, because your mind is just serene and empty. Clear, transparent, luminous <laughs> screen. You know? So establish that as a baseline. Now's our chance. It's really, really hard for people you know, listening by podcast. Some are in retreat, fantastic. And for those not, it's just more challenging. 
It's not just you can't practice, it's just more challenging to practice, especially in our culture, which is so, the mainstream, so, so antithetical in view, practice, and way of life to the things of Buddhism. That's just the way it is. You know, that's just the way it is. Uh, so if the mainstream is going down the toilet, don't go with flow. That's one of my mottos. <laughs> Swim upstream, quickly. <laughs> And the Buddha himself said that. I can't, I can't quote him verbatim. But this is 2,500 years ago. He said, my teachings go against the grain. My teachings go against the flow. And that's India 2,500 years ago. What would he say now? I think he'd just start crying. <laughs> my teachings don't have a chance. <laughs> but he's not. People like the Dalai Lama and other great lamas. Unbelievable courage and enthusiasm. Unbelievable. I mean, not getting discouraged. That's amazing in so many ways. So let's not get discouraged. Let's keep practicing and see you at 4.30. Hasta la vista.